0: This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Humane Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. On September 20th, 2013, the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals hosted the third annual Living with Wildlife Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. Defender Radio Special Report. In this special report, you will hear the entire presentation from Mike Badry, the Wildlife Conflicts Prevention Coordinator for the BC Ministry of Environment. To find out more about Mike, or see videos, photos, and other speakers, visit furbeardefenders.com. Thank you. Um, thanks, everybody. Thanks for, uh, for inviting me here today. I'm uh, really happy to, to get a chance to talk to you. I am the Wildlife Conflicts Manager. I'd say that because it's a little shorter. My actual title is Human Wildlife Conflict Prevention Coordinator. But it's uh, it basically my job is at the provincial level to deal with wildlife conflict issues. And uh, today, I, you know, we're really all on the same page on this issue. We're very like-minded in this room. Um, so a lot of what I've got in this, uh, presentation is gonna be a bit repetitive. Um, I'm gonna probably fly through some slides pretty quickly and, uh, especially if it's, it's stuff we've all heard before and, uh, and maybe leave a lot of time at the end, uh, to try and answer questions, um, like how do you change the Wildlife Act that we could go on for a, a long time. So, right, the human-wildlife conflict prevention strategy. So that's really what I want to talk about today. It's really what guides us in how we're going to deal with conflicts in British Columbia. Back in around, I think it was 2002, there was this big restructuring in government, and, and things changed, everybody's priorities were changed, and their jobs changed. And I, I was a bearer biologist at the time, and one of the things that really struck me at that time in government was all these changes that came out, there wasn't wildlife conflict on the, the 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 docket at all, as far as government was concerned. Nobody had any responsibility around wildlife conflict, and my my experience as a fur bear biologist, I dealt a lot with black bear issues, and that was. I mean, it was enormous in BC, the number of issues we had with black bears and a lot of other species. Some of these other ones, like, like deer, weren't as big at the time, but coyote were certainly emerging. And I, I brought it to the attention that this was an emerging issue in government that we really needed to deal with. And they decided that the way we'd deal with this is a development of a strategy and put together a committee of, of uh, people within the Ministry of Environment at the time um, to, to try and put this strategy together. So why did we need this strategy? Well, as I say, saying, and I think a lot of people have alluded to it, we get thousands of complaints around conflicts with wildlife every year in British Columbia. Um, the kinds of complaints we get range in everything, from property damage, minor, raccooning your garbage, to major, people are losing money or they're destroying um, infrastructure, Agriculture damage is a big issue, again, because people here are trying to make a living um, are losing a lot that, to wildlife issues. Vehicle collisions are just, are, you know, causing a lot of property damage, obviously causing a lot of, of carnage on the, uh, on the roadways. And, of course, human injury and death was a really high-profile issue, that public safety uh, issue around wildlife conflicts. All, you know, conflicts run the gamut, small to large, and we needed some sort of a way to, to address how we're going to deal with them. I just threw up some more recent numbers. Again, when I say we get a lot of calls, to our, this is our provincial reporting line for the Conservation Officer Service. We call it Report a Poacher and Polluter, I think. Report all poachers and polluters. It's also our wildlife conflict line. It's not really good branding, and I hope to change that as well. But You can see we get upwards to 30,000 calls every year to our call center regarding wildlife conflicts. Vast majority of those in that greeny thing, twenty-three over twenty-three thousand, those are the large carnivores. So the, they say the grizzly bear, black bear, cougar, wolf, coyote. And of those, I'll tell you about eighteen thousand are black bear. Right, that is the vast majority of the calls we get. We, we live in a province that's blessed with really healthy black bear populations. They're ubiquitous and they're really good at adapting to living with people. Um, the, the, the dark blue one—that's ungulates, mostly deer, of course. And then a host of other species that we get calls on. Um, if you look in the lower um, bar graph, that just breaks it down a bit by region. And, you know, no, no surprise here, the south coast, where we have most people, we have the most conflict. And then in this southern interior, and in the north as well. But the species break down pretty much the same, mostly large carnivores. It's obvious reason, right? That's, again, a lot of these large carnivores, very adaptable, very good at living with people. And there's a heightened public safety risk that people have, you know, that's that, that, uh, involved with those species. So we get a lot of calls. Also, we're the most biologically diverse jurisdiction in B.C. We have a lot of animals. We have a lot of people. A certain level of conflict is absolutely inevitable. Again, thousands of animals are, are, are killed or relocated. That's not just the conservation officer service going out. That's people dealing with conflicts on their own. That's again people, you know, having vehicle collisions with wildlife or other sorts of interactions with wildlife that are negative. Vast majority of the time when it's an interaction with people, it's the wildlife that loses out. Yeah. And, of course, there's the cost, right? Millions of dollars in property damage. CO service and other levels of government, millions of dollars in in trying to respond to both proactively and reactively to wildlife conflicts. So just those slides, just trying to, I guess, illustrate big issue. We needed to deal with it somehow. Um, Why are we having these issues? We've all talked about it. We all want to live in the same area. We all love these low-lying, productive habitat. We're displacing wildlife. Wildlife's learning to live with us. Um, we're sometimes providing that denning, that, that shelter, that food that wildlife wants. And, uh, and, and the whole idea is if, if we realize that, if we realize we're kind of trying to share the same space and there's, there's things that we can do that, uh, can eliminate or at least reduce these kind of conflicts that we have with wildlife, then uh, there's a, there's a responsibility on the behalf of people and communities to do that. So we talked about this a lot too. What's the problem? Well, we're teaching bad habits to people, or to, sorry, people are teaching bad habits to wildlife, and that's mostly around access to attractants. And the biggest attractant that's caused the most problems when it comes to conflicts is access to garbage. And what happens when these, when these, when wildlife gets this kind of access to garbage? They're living in our communities. They're getting habituated to people. They're getting, they're, they feel safe around people. People aren't a threat. That just makes them more confident in accessing those kinds of attractants. And once they do, they become what we call food conditioned, where they've made that connection that people actually equal food. And they're going to be, they're going to be actively seeking out food where there are people. And that's when wildlife particularly large predators, but we're seeing it you know, more and more with, with animals like deer too, they start to pose that public safety risk. And that's when you get, resp- you get a, a reaction from the conservation officer service and the vast majority of the time, it's to remove that animal from the population. Um, and and when we ha- that's because when we have animals that are habituated in food condition, it's really hard to do anything else that's going to be effective. Our reactive, and I think Sylvia alluded to that too, our reactive options are very limited. This idea of translocating wildlife um, in order to resolve a conflict, I feel very strongly that that is a poor, poor management strategy. And I actually have said many times before I leave government, if there's one thing I can accomplish, we will never move an animal a long distance to try and resolve a conflict. It is ineffective. That animal, whenever they are tracked almost in all of the time, that animal does not survive, right? It travels long distances, and with that comes all kinds of mortality factors, whether they starve to death, or they get predated, or they get killed on a road. They'll often get back into conflict because on those long-distance travels, they end up in a community again, which is where they already recognize they can get food, they get back in trouble, they get killed. If we translocate an animal a long distance, I consider it dead. Because that is what's going to happen to it the vast majority of time. It's not the solution. It makes people feel better because it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of people will say, well, it's successful because we never saw that animal again. Well, it's true. That's a success in that you've resolved the conflict. But it's no different than killing the animal. That is ultimately its fate. Great, it's a great technique to, to try and resol- or to resolve uh, species at risk issues. If you've got a population that requires some sort of supplementation, and you know you've got available habitat and you know you've limited sort of those mortality risks and you've done all that background work and you move animals in there. Animals that probably have you've gotten from a wild population that have, you know, know how to survive. That's a good use of translocation. Still, mortality factor on those animals is very high, over 50%. Doing it to resolve conflicts doesn't work at all. Other other, ta- other types of uh, resolution, this idea of hazing or aversive conditioning. You try to make that uh, an unpleasant experience for the animal so it doesn't want to be around people. That can work, but again, it's really important that that animal hasn't gone through that habituation and food conditioning uh, process because once it's learned that people equal food, very difficult to turn that behavior around. You've got to resolve the access to attractant issues to make these kinds of reactive options actually effective. So we want to focus on that. And here's my slide to talk about whose problem is it. Well, you know, we've all talked about this before. It's a really difficult issue. Everybody has to take responsibility for it. It's a shared issue. And, and, and the, the provincial government wants to be a part of it. And funding is always an issue. We want to be there with funding. Sometimes we are. Right now we're not. Um, and it, but it's, if it's not shared... It can't be resolved by one level of government. It used to be government would sort of parachute into these communities where we had a bunch of bear conflicts and say, "We got to fix this. Come on, we're going to we're going to get this fixed." And and the way we cycle right with government, eventually we don't have the funding and we pull back out, and the community says, well, all right, we're not going to do anything." They don't have any buy-in, right? It doesn't work that way. We we realized pretty early early on. that you have to have that community buy-in. And in order to get the buy-in, you have to share the problem and you have to share the solution. So that idea of sharing it is, is a big part of the uh, the strategy. So basically, it's everything we've talked about today. Proactive conservation initiative, really focusing on what's the root cause of the conflict so that we can deal with that. Reactive, re, you know, the reactive response, obviously not working, and cooperative. Those are really the two big um, principles of uh of the conflict strategy. But here are some of the others, you know, breaking it down a little. How are we going to, you know, again, finite resources, so we need to have some principles of how it's going to guide us. Human health and safety, that public safety risk, and the idea about conservation, dealing with species at risk, those are going to be high priorities. If we got wildlife conflict issues that affect public safety or are, are affecting conservation, we need, to, we need to deal with those. Um, again, proactive, focusing on root causes, shared responsibility. Finite resources, so we need to have some way of priorizing and, and, and being effective in how we deliver. These are all the principles behind how we 're going to deliver on this so these solutions have to reflect these kind of impacts is it, if it 's having a big economic impact, well, maybe we need to put some effort towards it. If the solution has huge if it 's really expensive, well you know maybe we need to kind of find a way to a better way. There needs to be a balance here of how we 're going to respond to these We have to understand that to be effective, it also has to be cost effective in a lot of time, a lot of times. Um, risk-based criteria, so same sort of idea, right? It, your, your, your response to these, you have to assess what the risk of your response is. You don't want to create more problems by some of the, uh, the, uh, solutions that might be available to resolve conflicts. And the ministry wants to be setting a high standard. And I'm not sure we've accomplished this one, but when we built, when we, when we built the strategy, we are saying, look, if we're going to ask these people to go through all this trouble, we're going to ask communities to do this, and it's onerous to do in a lot of cases, especially for these large animals like deer and bear, um, then the government's got to step up. And in the per- on provincial parks and other government properties, we've got to be doing a good job of managing our conflicts and, and, and sort of setting that example. How are we going to do it? Well, cooperation is essential. We've got to get that buy-in. It's got to be shared. Each community is going to be unique, and that—that—that's been an important one too, right? We've got to be flexible. We, we're looking at an end goal, really results-based. We're trying to reduce conflicts, and we're trying to be innovative. So we've really sort of stressed whatever works for a community to resolve conflicts. Let's let's try it. Let's talk about it in forums like this. Let's share the information so everybody can benefit from it. And uh, and it, you know. Do you, and, and work what's, what's, uh, do what, what works for your community and of course resources we have to try and, and, and really pound the pavement and find lots of sources because it's expensive and we need lots of partners to help us resolve it So what does the province provide? Well we talked about earlier um, we're still the respo- we're still the agency responsible for wildlife management so we've got to provide a lot of guidance there um, we've got to take a role around all kinds of issues on on uh, on dealing with wildlife management. Information and data sharing. We're trying to do a better job of of taking in and, and having a database that we can then provide the information back out to people so that we understand what kind of conflicts we have and, and what they're caused by. And, and it kind of gives you that, that level of knowledge that's going to help you provide or develop solutions. Scientific and technical support. We want to have our biologists and our conservation officers and other government staff that 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 work and and live in these local communities part of the uh, solution as well. So they sit down with these communities and be part of the the committees and that that are dealing with it, regulations and standards that we talked about, developing these sorts of things so that people have some some guidelines around how best to deal with these with uh, with conflict issues, and of course partnership and facilitation. We want to bring everybody together, and again forums like this are really good for that. But you want to get all all. So everybody, all the stakeholders that are involved you know, th- with wildlife conflicts, because I'm sure you guys are all aware, there's a lot of different uh, attitudes out there and issues, and, and it really helps when we can bring everybody together and you get a better idea of what everybody's values are, what everybody's interests are, try to find that common ground and come to some consensus on how to effectively deal with these issues. And the benefits? Well, what we, we've really kind of been pushing is these things that we think will resonate with people. So improve public safety. When you don't have these kinds of conflicts, especially, again, with these large animals like large predators and ungulates, then you improve public safety. It's a good thing for your, the citizens. And you're reducing property damage. You know, you're, you're saving people money. And in the end, you're also going to be killing fewer animals because you're not having that kind of conflict and, and you're not having to remove animals in order to deal with it. So, I just wanted to talk um, about some of the initiatives that we've been trying to, uh, to um, implement under that, that, that follow this sort of idea of the wildlife per- conflict prevention strategy. So, some examples WildSafe Safe BC, which is relatively new, we talked a bit about Bear Smart that Sylvia talked about. There's a really good uh, wildlife vehicle collision reduction strategy. We're trying to, 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 well, we've been rolling out an urban ungulate strategy, and we've been dealing with uh, some, some livestock issues with the Livestock Predator Program. I'm just going to hit, I think, on, uh, on a few of these. And just before I do, I was going to go over a bit about what the COS does. I work with the COS, um, and I, but I, I'm, I'm a bit more of a resource for, for government in general. But as far as the COs are concerned, um, they're, they're not a big unit, but they cover and they cover a big jurisdiction. Um, and they do a lot of things, and that's just uh, all I wanted to point out it's they're they're pretty much thin on the landscape and and they've got a lot going on um threw up some just some numbers on on this is a five year average uh, on stats broke it down a bit with the large predators um, you know again, there's the eighteen thousand black bear calls, of course, much fewer pro grizzly bear and uh, cougar conflicts are always a big issue we had a lot of cougar conflicts this year starting in about january our cougar conflicts have been through the roof we've finally seen that level off here in august a bit which is nice uh, but you know cougar calls are, are, are a, a high priority and then at the bottom i just threw up some number on predator attacks and i know we talked about this too with coyotes it's, pretty rare right they get a lot of press and they're very high profile but predator attacks tend to be very rare um on average you know we don't see you know in the last five years we've had one person that was killed by a black bear nobody by cougar or grizzly bears few injured most of those injuries tend to be fairly minor um so predator attacks are a big issue a high priority response because of the public safety um you know impact but uh but I always like to sort of try to keep wildlife attacks in, in perspective, that they still are relatively rare, especially in a province where we've got such healthy predator populations and, and high human populations. And a bit too about the reporting line again. So so this is our wrap line, and this is where we encourage people to call in if they've got um, any issues around environmental enforcement that a CO might respond to or wildlife conflicts. But those wildlife conflicts that are more serious in nature, where there's a public safety risk, Or there's a large, a high property damage. Those are the kind of calls we're really directing towards the call center. Um, and not so much the smaller complaints that are minor damage, say your, your, your raccoon complaints or your skunk complaints. And you're never going to get a CO responding to those. And not to say we don't need to deal with those, but this, that's really not what we're going for with the, with the call center. Of those, you know, 30,000 calls, we're trying to focus them down on the ones that are higher priority. And so the way we deal with the call center, and I apologize, too, that you're not going to probably be able to read all this in the back. And this is an ongoing thing, trying to sort of develop the best technique to to try and and resolve these calls and direct them in the right way. So what we're doing right now is sort of giving the operators at the call center, they're not conservation officers, they're operators. They record the information, and they pass it on to the conservation officer service. Some, they just log it in the database, and all COs have access to the database. They can go in, check any time, and see what's going on in their area as far as conflict calls go. But I guess to be more of a minor conflict where we're seeing some, some riskier behavior, property damage, these levels of habituation and food conditioning that we might think could lead to risk, we, they email it directly to the conservation officer of that zone. So every CO in that zone gets the email and looks at it and makes an assessment as to whether or not they should respond to it They'll respond in some way, whether it's just giving the person education or up to actually going in and dealing with the wildlife. And then there's major conflicts where, okay, there seems to be enough of a risk here that we think we need a CO to uh, to look at it right away. The operator will actually contact a CO, make, make voice contact with them just to ensure, okay, you've got it and you've got the ability to assess it. Still doesn't mean a CO is going to respond necessarily, but he's got the information and he's going to make that decision about just how high the risk is and whether or not he needs to get out there right away. Okay, so some of the stuff we've been doing, and again, this is fairly recent. Wild Safe BC. This is um, a program that we are basing on the Bear Aware program. Right, so this has been around for a lot of years, and it's been what we we like to think really effective and very successful. An education program that so we, we built some standards around how to deal with with bear issues. Um, proactive. Again, it's all about it's all about dealing with the uh with the uh, attractant management and and trying to reduce conflicts um so and, and it's been delivered throughout the province um it's got a pretty good reputation but we've always talked and even if you were to, if you're to read the wildlife conflict strategy which is up on the web one of the things we actually say in there is we need to expand that uh, the bear the bear aware program to involve other wildlife conflicts well 10 years later we're finally getting around to that um and it's called wild safe bc so now bearware, again, throughout the province in 2012, we were, we, were, we were able to get bear aware programs active in a lot of communities, and, and, and that's been why we've sort of picked that model. We want to do the same thing with other species um, and, and be able to give communities that. So, you know, this is just some numbers around how well we've been doing, um, getting that message out around bear conflicts. I stole some of these slides, so I didn't know they were going to be. Uh... So really, we're we're looking at increasing right now. Our focus this is a, this is a uh, in in the making, right? So it's got a lot more development to go. But we wanted to focus on those species first that tend to be the most problematic. So ba- bear is still in there, of course, um, and we're also right now. If you look up on on the website, you're going to see information on on coyotes, and you're also going to see information on deer and cougars. Um, and we're working on rattlesnakes, and we're working on, on uh, raccoons and other species. So we want to have the same sort of level of educational information around other wildlife conflict species to sort of get that message out, and it's standardized. If a, if a community wants it, it's available to them. They don't have to reinvent anything. And what we really are, are well, we'd like to see communities be able to, to pick and choose what sort of, a, of a education um, module they want. So if, if their issues are coyotes, they can focus on coyotes. If they're coyotes and deer, they can focus on that. It's going to be much more flexible and it's going to provide, you know, we're going to have a much better ability to get that education message out. And it's all built on, on, a, on a similar model that both bear aware, and I should mention the Coexisting with Coyote program too, really based on a similar model. And we're, we're hoping we're going to see uh, some success with that. So we're going to be building wild safe programs now uh, and, and the branding is sort of just moving over. We still talk about BearAware, but by 2014, it's probably going to be all talking about WildSafe BC. So this is what the website sort of looks like. Again, if you, I, I would encourage you to, to go on and take a look. It's still in, in under construction, and, and we're going to be continuing to add to it, especially come fall when the big conflict season gets a little bit slower. We'll be putting a bit more effort into getting more information up on this website. And this is where we send a lot of the uh, calls that come to the call center that are the lower conflict and say, you need some information on how to deal with wildlife, here's the place to go, and it's going to provide you with that. Um, one of the great things that we've got going now, and I've got to give credit to Frank Ritzy, who's the coordinator with WildSafe right now, and he's brilliant when it comes to working with computers and mapping programs, is we've been taking all that information that comes to our call center, and I've been funneling it to him. And he's been throwing it up on this mapping program and it's interactive. So and, and we really see this as a as a great educational tool. So if anybody can go on here and, and go through the uh and search out their community, search out a species, and look at where the uh conflicts are in their community. And they can look at what the attractants are, what attracted that animal, or what caused that conflict, and they can even see what the outcome is. I'm sorry, in some cases, if the if a CO has responded, if there's been some action that will be recorded there as well, right, up to the animal was killed. So this, we really see this as a, as a great opportunity. Again, needs a lot more work. He's continuing to sort of update it. And, and in the future, we even want this to be able to provide uh, um, alerts. So if you signed up, you could, you could get an email alert that says, bear was sighted in your, in your area, accessing garbage, right? Just, again, give that people that that, sorry, hey, I better be pretty vigilant because bears are active in my area. Garbage is a problem. I better clean up mine. So we see this as uh, going to be a, a really helpful tool and, and pretty excited about it. And it's those kind of innovations, you know, that we really like to, to try and, uh, try and t- to move forward, especially through that. And, uh, and they're hoping it's going to be something that catches on with other jurisdictions. Uh, I'll talk a bit about the Bear Smart program. Sylvia has gone through it, so I just want to say that's really... We built the bear, the wildlife conflict strategy on the, on the Bear Smart program. We started with Bear Smart and Sylvia, people like her helped us build it based on stuff they were already doing, um, on that proactive side. So we, we put it together based again on huge number of bear complaints. I, right, through threw the ten, 10 year average just for bears now. And you can see for black bears, we get thousands. We only attend a couple of thousand and we end up still killing you know, 630 bears a year. That's not just the COs. That's the public as well that kill in defense of life or property. Um, But we're still killing way too many bears. I mean, it's probably never going to get down to zero in BC, where, again, you've got great predator populations and lots of people. If we got down to zero, there's probably bigger problems that we've got. But we can sure do better. I'm sure about that. Bear Smart follows that wildlife conflict strategy, as I said. It's proactive, it's cooperative, it's community-led. Super important that it's community-led. That's really where we've seen the most success. Um, We've established the criteria, and again, we we really promote each community to look at the most effective ways that they can deal with their issues that are going to be unique to their community. Same vision, we want to really focus on root causes. We want to reduce the conflicts and reduce the number of bears that are being destroyed. So we like to sort of say we're having some success. If you look at the long-term trends of the number of bears that are being killed every year, we're seeing it's positive. You know, 20 years ago, on average, we're killing 700, over 700 bears. We brought that down by 100 bears. But as I say, we can still do a lot better. There's a lot of fluctuation in there, different years. Again, we are talking about this year's pretty good bear year. We haven't, you know, it's going to bring this average down because we haven't killed a lot of bears. A lot of that's likely due to really good natural food sources out there this year. Most indications around the province is the berry crop's been great. Might not last through the fall, right? We had a long, hot summer, and that might ripen up and dry out early on. So we still have to be vigilant, and bear conflicts could still spike this fall. But right now, we've been very, very fortunate. But uh, I also like to think that that trend is, is due to the amount of awareness out there and the programs that we've had and, and, and that uh, we're seeing the public taking more responsibility for re- reducing conflicts. The grizzly bear line, gee, I'm really sorry, that's hard to see. Um, grizzly bears, because conflicts levels are way lower. Um, really, you see it very flat with the, the grizzly bear conflicts, and most of those conflicts, are a lot of those conflicts, with black bear, too, actually, are, are more agriculture-related and, and predation on livestock. And, a, and another level of success is we've got lots of communities that are, are going down the bear-smart path and are looking at, at trying to um, um, achieve... A fair number of those criteria, if not all of them. And we've had five communities now, um, that have successfully attained all the criteria, all six, and they've attained Bear Smart status. And I really want to give a lot of credit to those communities, because as I said before, that's incredibly onerous. And it's, it's time consuming. It takes years. It's not something you can do overnight. And it takes a ton of resources. So uh, the communities, Kamloops and Squamish and Lions Bay and Whistler and just recently um, Port Alberni, have all officially attained BearSmart status. And, uh, you know, we've heard whisperings from other communities, so I, I'm hoping in the next year we'll probably have two or three more uh, come on board. And I, I really find that positive, especially because, like I said, government hasn't had a lot of resources to throw towards this, um, at least recently. And we're still seeing these communities just take the ball and run with it. And uh, it's been very positive. Um, I threw in Cougar Smart there isn't really a, a Cougar Smart program but we deal with cougars a lot so we tend to throw out uh, a fair bit of education material out there so as we talked about we have more cougars than anybody in North America right? The, the, and, and we have a, a population of four to 6,000 cougars that we estimate that it, it's high, we have a, a healthy cougar population um, and still as I said cougar attacks are very rare 8 deaths and 79 people injured in over 200 years like it's, not, it's not common. Uh, but when it, there is an attack, it's certainly big news, and it seems like uh, it's more often. Uh, but what I, I did throw this up here, too, uh, show that although we did say it's not common, attacks have been on the increase. Likely part of that is due to we record it. You know, We're a little bit more diligent about recording attacks, um, even really minor ones. Anytime there's contact with a person, we record it as an attack. So again, some of those are very minor um, but we have seen that it has been increasing. So, and again, likely that due to our population and people has increased, and we got a lot of people in BC that do a lot of recreation, and, and they encounter cougars. Cougars are obligate carnivores. When you run into a cougar, it's usually because it's predatory, either on you or on your pet. A lot of them are, are also people getting in between a cougar and their pet, um, because that's what it was actually targeting. So the bottom line is fatalities, which has remained fairly flat over the decades. Um, and the top line is actually um, all attacks, both injuries and fatalities. Um, and again, we can see that it's been a bit. The trend line is that we're seeing more, but I, I think uh, a lot of that's due to our, our better recording of it. And we, we throw out a bunch of information on how to deal with cougars. Pretty common sense stuff. Don't attract them, right? Don't don't leave animals like your livestock or your pets vulnerable to cougars at night. Don't leave out cat food. You know, don't feed your animals outside and leave that out as an attractant. Don't attract raccoons or deer to your property. That's going to help with cougars. When you're playing in cougar country, understand you're in cougar country. You're always safer if you hike in groups and you make noise. And you want to make sure that you're protecting the most vulnerable because that's always what a predator is going to be looking for. So you want to keep your children close. And you don't want to be checking out carcasses because you never know what's going to be the result. So and I'm blowing through these, it's a much bigger program, but uh you know, so we, we try to get that message out there. Always be alert, always stay calm. When you do encounter a cougar, you know, again, that cougar cougar, I guarantee you, if you if that cougar is thinking of you as prey, you're the first person it's ever tried to attack because we don't allow those those cougars to remain in the population. So it's it's not it's not sure of itself, right? It's never tried to to, to attack a person before. And you want to play on that. When a cougar's trying to attack you, you want to look big and aggressive and scary and make that cougar think, you know what, it's not worth the risk. I make my living killing things, and I can't risk going after this thing because it might hurt me back. And right? just some common sense stuff. Never turn your back, never run. And uh, when, when you're being attacked by a predator, don't play dead if you think it's there to eat you. And then I'm just going to go quickly because I don't have much time left. Um, through the deer issue, because it's been a big one, and, and one that we've been dealing with communities on. We've had a lot emerging issue, lots of deer conflicts, lots of it in the media. Um, not really sure why there's we're having this. Uh, it's a North America phenomenon. It's not just happening in BC, but we're certainly seeing uh, urban deer becoming more of an issue. And there's lots of uh, the impacts that we're seeing, but also the benefits, and we talked about that a lot too, right? I mean, yeah, there are property damage issues, and there's some issues around maybe some uh, disease transmission. Uh, a lot of people really like having deer in a community, so it's a difficult issue to deal with. Um, deer, you know, there's lots of management challenges, lots of uh, you know, jurisdictional responsibility. We've already talked about a lot today. Whose problem is it? Who's supposed to deal with it? Some people want all the deer dead. Some people want them all saved, right? It's an incredibly divisive issue and, and very difficult to deal with. Um, we produced an, a conflict analysis, which we tried to make very comprehensive and say, okay, here's all the issues around deer conflicts. Here's how other communities have dealt with them. Here's a bunch of solutions and their pros and their cons, and make that available to communities so they can, they can have some information to go on when it comes to trying to decide what are we going to do in our community, about deer conflicts. So in, the, in the, the, the strategy basically recommends, as consistent with our conflict strategy, you want to get together as a community, all stakeholders, and talk about it, understand each other's values, what your problems are, and come up with some ideas of what the most effective management strategies are going to be, given you know, our community values and our community issues. Management options in this, pro- in this analysis range from everything, from, you know, um, the, the, the whole uh, focus on being proactive and having your bylaws and don't feed deer and, and don't make it a comfortable place for deer to live to uh, fertility control, population reduction, and some admin options around you know, how, to, how to deal with the delivering education programs and things like that. Again, try to be very comprehensive. And again, the government's there to sit on those committees, provide expertise. We've thrown a bunch of information up on the website that deals with individual issues around... Um, you know the the feeding of deer and culling of deer, and, and so to just give these committees all the information that they can ha- they can get their we can get our hands on and provide that level of technical and professional expertise so that they have that ability to make those kinds of decisions. And of course, government if they make decisions where they want to actually deal with the deer in any way, now they have to go through us around permitting and authorizations and things like that that we also will be working on and other kinds of regulation changes that. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be playing a role in, in these deer management strategies. And we're putting a lot of the emphasis, again, at that local level, that these communities are going to lead this process. And they're the ones that are going to identify what the problems are and what the solutions are. And then we're going to work with them to, to help them implement it. So really, all the same, we're really looking at the reduction or elimination of wildlife-human conflicts in B.C. And, and this is how we hope to uh, achieve a large measure of success. This is Defender Radio.